blowing out the speakers. What? 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 Yep. You gotta hydrate. How's that feel? This week's episode is brought to you by Koval Fine mm. Liqueurs. It is indeed. Also by Tito's Vodka. Let's yes. not pretend that we're fancier than we are. American Vodka. It's delicious and really oh, worth the price. Oh yeah! All right. <laughs> Take it easy, baby. Make it last all night. <laughs> she was an American vodka. Mm, the only kind. The no collusion. No collusion. <laughs> I just want that stated. No collusion. Oh. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right. <sighs> Welcome to Womance, a podcast about romance novels, about internships, about mistaken identities, about lying about your identity, about having sweet, sweet sex in a cave, about those funny ways that they get around copyright by making up fake (laughs) versions of real things, and really, at its core, about earnestness and feelings. (laughs) <laughs> I guess. <laughs> On this week's episode, we are talking about A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. It is the first in a series called Reluctant Royals. Do you know what's exciting is that Isabeau is reading this off of the cover of a physical book. This is the first time we've had like a, a real hunk of paper. It's true. I did physically get this book at 57th Street Books in Hyde Park, Chicago. They were doing an incredible uh, romance night. I picked this up with along with a few others that we might talk about on this podcast but what's really nice about having a physical copy which I have not had for a long time is that like I can dog ear the pages as we talk about yeah I'm curious about what you dog eared mostly just like where I stopped sorry shit you must be starving She hurried to the small cage near the room's sole window, which provided a spectacular view of a brick wall <laughs> of the adjacent building. I did not read. I'm not a very good reader. But that was really good. I think you read that in the tone that that is meant. It's surprisingly funny. It wasn't much to look at, but Graham P and Graham N had once been destined to become slides under some researcher's microscope. So she was pretty certain they appreciated it. Listeners? These are two human beings that she keeps in her apartment. That's a lie, listeners. Those are mice. <laughs> Mises. <laughs> Those are Mises. Mm-hmm. All right. So you picked this book, so I should give the synopsis. That's true. Um, so she she doesn't really have two human beings in her apartment. <laughs> um, so our main character, our heroine, Naledi. Naledi. Na, is that? Do you, I don't know. However you want. She is an orphan. She lives in New York City. And she's also in grad school to become an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. And she works a lot of jobs just trying to make it in the big city yep. on the island of Manhattan. Yep. And it turns out her parents, who she does not remember, were a part of a royal family in an African kingdom called the Solo. Not a real place. And uh, she was betrothed to the prince there. He comes to New York. They find her. So if the book starts with a uh, one of those Nigerian prince type uh, email requests, except it's real. Yeah. It turns out to be real. And he goes to her place of work, which is a restaurant, one Not of her places of work. And um, she assumes that he's the new employee. And so she just starts bossing him around to take a piece of kale over to some scientists so that they can prove a point about 
theory and uh, relativity. He's so smitten with her. He takes on this uh, persona of Jamal. He pays her landlady to move out of her apartment so that he can live across the hall from her. Not creepy. They fall in love in five days. And then she finds out because her friend kind of tricks her that he's he's really a prince. And so they're going to call it quits. And then he's like, no, I know how to lure you back um, because your internship that your summer field study lost funding. So guess Mm -hmm. what? My country Mm -hmm. has something called the prince's plague happening. Yep. And you're going to I'm going to pay for you to go and study that. And she's tempted. And the only exchange is that she has to pretend to be his fiance say for a while and guess what they end up falling in love they solve the plague and uh the last third wraps up really nicely maybe two nicely you know this is one of those books that i think is like so structurally good Mm -hmm. like uh it never it never lags and you've got your clear i think it's like three acts Oh yeah, it's it's distinctly three acts. One of the things that I wanted to talk about that I noticed in particular was that the first act is the longest act where we're in New York, our setup and our first sex scene all take place in the first act. Um, but what was so weird about it was that so much of it is in New York City. And like what was appealing about this book to begin with is that it is this South African prince. And like not a lot of it takes place in Africa. Like there aren't enough delicious discussions of the solo and there aren't enough discussions of like being there and the differences and like we're just like a ton in like working class New York and I was like mm. you were less interested in that I mean, you kind of wanted the the full on is it important to you in a romance novel you okay so I I wanted it to be half and half at least full disclosure I'm not a I'm not as experienced in the romance <laughs> genre as Isabeau I don't really okay, have a clearly a defined positions yet okay because I'm still exploring the genre although of course I have clearly defined positions I've never not had a clearly position about Strong. anything in my Strong women have strong opinions, Morgan. Thank you. That's flattering. Is part of the experience of reading a romance novel for you, is it important to have, to be carried away, to go somewhere that you aren't every day? I can be mentally carried away in a shitty flat in NYC. I I guess that's a really that's a really good point. So, um, listeners, I work in academia, and the first twenty five pages are devoted to how hard Naledi or Letty, as she calls herself, how hard she works, and how hard it is to maintain an apartment, how hard it is to work in a field that is very very male dominated, and like all of that just rang perhaps a little too true for me. Getting grants, the hustle, having a dude mansplain shit to you that you already know and asking you to do grunt work when like you're the most experienced person in the lab. I think Alyssa Cole does a really beautiful job because Alyssa Cole actually Mm -hmm. is a science writer. Yep. But she does a great job of making this very particular position feel very universal and very applicable. Maybe too much so. Also, the part that I found, her job that I found most relatable to as an academic (laughs) was her server job because yes. she has this guy she works with who is very much the Twitter, oh, that guy God. in your MFA. Totally. That's exactly what I wrote in my margin Yeah, notes. that's what I wrote too. <laughs> like that guy in my MFA class. That guy in your MFA. Uh, the tweet that comes to mind was, was, I don't watch TV, but if I did, it would be the young Pope on HBO. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I really... Uh, also, Dumbledore, I, young Dumbledore is also the young Pope. Jude Law. What Jude Law. I really loved the young Pope. I found him super relatable. That's weird. I love Diane Keaton. My brother called me after he watched it mm-hmm. and was like, 
you are very much the young pope. <laughs> Typical older brother. What an older brother thing to say. Uh, my older brother says lots of things. Anyway, uh, Alyssa Cole, you're right. She does a really beautiful job of making this thing feel really universal. There's that scene where she's serving and her shitty guy in her MFA class fucking leaves in like this like flurry of emotion where he like leaves his tuxedo shirt on the floor and she almost trips on it and dies. And he won't finish the shift yeah, because he, he's such a shit. He like asks her for validation Ugh. and she offers him like something very candid like just like trying to get him to shut up and he takes it as like a call to action so he throws his shirt on the ground it was like that w- I mean that's who we went to school with yes <laughs> a lot of them back to Alyssa Cole yes I think the character in the beginning has no safety nets and you find out through the course of the novel that she she does she has she has stuff going on she's a royal she just didn't she's a secret princess but here's she's a the secret thing princess. i think this book makes it clear that Ladai's virtue is completely separate from her identity as a princess or a royal. I agree. And I think that's one of the great things. So like when our prince shows up to give her like a strong shaming, shaming or like a takedown or like a castigation, like he shows up to be like, you ran away from your responsibilities. Your parents took you away. And like, you were supposed to marry me. We were supposed to have this life together already. And like the goddess and you've let our country down. You've let our country down. You've let our goddess down. You've let everybody down. Let the people down. You've let the people down. And what he doesn't know, what nobody knows, is that her parents have died in an automobile accident when she was four. And she's been through the foster system in Manhattan, which has been terrible. So he comes to shame her. And she has this mistaking an identity moment where she thinks he's Jamal. And he's like, sure, okay, I can totally fucking serve dinners. And then I'm going to show her how awesome I am and get to shame her all in one go. Except... Like, what's so great about this, as Morgan has already politely noted for us, is that royalty and blue-bloodedness in and of itself is not a virtue to Alyssa Cole. And that is fucking refreshing. Yeah, and I really like that all of the stuff that Jamal slash... The Bezo. The Bezo loves about her is really a result of her struggle and a result of her... Let's go back to the Bezo struggle as, like, serving will be so easy. I'm a prince of a small African nation. Yeah, in his mind he's like I serve people I serve my people right. in everything I do so, which is an enormous amount of pressure totally but like it's totally different than <laughs> fucking serving dinner knowing like the mechanics yeah. and like being willing to like subvert your pride and personal dignity to be a server of food yeah exactly and even if you personally don't feel like you're subverting your personal pride or dignity when you're a server other people will do it for you I mean that's like a whole other tangent that we could get into about the service industry and the fact that it's even called the service, the service industry, industry and like tipping culture and all that other stuff. Like I'd love to get into that as somebody who tended bar for a number of years. For a long, long time. A long time. Uh, but I would also like to get into it as someone who's recently stiffed. No, really? Oh, yeah. No. Do you think it's worse whenever you get like full on zero dollars or when you get like an insulting tip? I think it depends on the situation for me in particular. Like the, if I like if I crafted your cocktail like mm-hmm. from fucking scratch and like zested a lime for you or like made a Bloody Mary. I zested a lime for you? If I zested a lime for you and you leave me 25 cents, fuck you, I would have preferred zero. Because at least zero, you've like written a line through it and like maybe that says something about you in particular versus like the time and care it takes to write 0.25. Because like that's what you think of me. And like that's gross. Listeners, this is a PSA. 20% is an at least 
no matter how especially shitty your in service, a big town, especially big in a big city. town, in a big city, especially in America. I know some of you listeners are not here, but here's the thing. It's at least 20% and it's 20% if they're having a bad day and they were rude to you and like they're sad or like it wasn't the service that you wanted. It's 20, well, maybe, it's at least 20%. This is just like, this isn't like their life and they're, they are about to realize that they should not be a server or and in the service you know industry. What? And they're not going to leave their fucking tuxedo shirts on the floor. So. So listeners, <laughs> if you feel compelled to leave more than 20%, God and love goddesses you. bless you. God love, love you. Ya. Listen. But it's at least 20%. That's a woe-man's non-negotiable. Also, if you're from another country and you come to the United States, look, you know that we tip here. You know that things are bad. And you better come correct. Because we don't have universal I don't healthcare. go. I don't have universal health care. Right. I don't go to your country and drive on the wrong side of the road. As it twere. As it twere. Not that I'm pointing out any particular nationality that's particularly insistent about not tipping. Also, it's particularly insistent in the romance genre. Yeah. I'm not trying to blow up your spot England <laughs> you said it not me I did, yeah I said it not Morgan you know it's it like me. like people from English-speaking Europe tend to you know have an opinion about tipping in the U.S. but only people from England I was have ever been like Irish I'm making a political Scottish statement don't do by that. fucking over Morgan specifically <laughs> she's gonna go now and she's gonna change things because I am not paying her sufficiently which just means that Morgan won't be able to go to the you know I won't be able to eat <laughs> She won't be I, to- I either get a cash-only pizza from Reno or I starve. Mostly, that's not true because you will eat anything to keep your cat alive. <laughs> My cat's food is so expensive. <laughs> and it has medications. And he has prescriptions. <laughs> anyway, so what we're saying, like I think what this long tangent about all of this is, please tip your servers and mostly one of the things that I found like not unenjoyable but maybe like too true like don't show me myself kind of thing is like Alyssa Cole was writing about like me me you know like me and me and like the thing that I'm afraid of and like making rent and like feeding her mice and like the ways in which the jobs that we want to love and work too hard for hurt us and like I think that was really hard and also one of my favorite points that anything can make that friendships are relationships that require sacrifice and consideration. Okay, let's like, I want to 100% talk about Portia. 100%. She's going to be the subject of the next book. Yeah, she is. In... Uh, what is it? What's the Duke, Duke by default? Duke by default. Putting a pin in Portia and friendship because that's something that I 100 percent want to come back to. Yeah. But I like let's like really talk about the humor of Prince the Bezo slash Jamal trying to serve a 41 person dinner at a very fancy restaurant with absolutely no training and only Letty, who's he's like there to shame to guide him through it. Let's let's talk about that scene because I think it's real good. It's real really funny because you because so he sets a fire oh my god that's not even the first thing that happens that's not the first thing that happens that's the peak and here's the thing about him setting the fire is that it makes sense as you're reading you're like okay yeah i mean you're wrong but okay like it is this book is funny it's so funny actually laugh out loud me too me too it's like actually delighting which hasn't happened for a while while reading a romance because it's not usually laugh out loud funny it's like yeah kind of funny but this was like seriously delighting like watching a prince 
not only try to like there's this one particular part where he's like serving food and he gets it wrong and then like he's pouring water and like an, an ice cube flies into some woman's cleavage and then he's like he has this moment where he's like do I fish it out I know that's wrong but what else do I do yeah like a genuine moment of panic yeah. where it's like of course you don't fish it out but right. there's a part where you're yeah. like do I fish it out I've made a mistake I have to correct it it's like the so that scene he like there's the cleavage they're like a series of mistakes that he has while he's a server which crescendos into him lighting fucking fondue on fire which is amazing and poor Letty is like fuck you dude who she had an instant attraction to because this guy is described basically as Adiris Elba and she's like fuck you that's interesting that that's who you pictured I am very interested in like who people picture when they're reading romance novels how could you not when she said cheekbones I was like "Mm, I know who has cheekbones Everyone. <laughs> no, not everyone. You know who doesn't have good cheekbones? Hugh Grant. It's because of the inbreeding. <laughs> England. Like, before kind of this comparison was put so clearly in relief in this text, I was like, I wouldn't want to be a princess. That's a very particular kind of pressure that feels unproductive, right? Kate Middleton has to wear pantyhose for the rest of her life. I think she likes it. You think she likes pantyhose? I don't know. No, Meghan Markle isn't wearing them. She's obviously, yeah, Meghan Markle. Shout out. <laughs> Meghan Markle isn't married yet. Woo, I hope she woo. never puts on pantyhose. I don't think she will. She's not going to be queen someday. That's a good point. In theory. In theory. What if William renounces? I don't think he will. I think fucking Charles might. But like all of this is beside the point. You were making a point about this book. Yeah. So it really puts into relief like being a princess even in our modern day world, not a bad gig. I mean, because it comes with, it, I think when you said the fact that we have an orphan without a safety net who's been, you know, navigating the mean streets of NYC, like the thing that you're talking about there is like security, like mm-hmm. a lack of vulnerability, a lack of precarity. And exactly. Like being- and that matters so much right and being a princess and being able to pursue your dreams and having the money and the brownstone you know to like do the thing that you feel passionate about all of that has to do with actual financial security and that's really the thing I mean other than like the hot sex and like you know the mutual recognition that the Bezo is offering Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day being a princess means that you get to choose your path yeah regardless of your capabilities your financial I mean, like, I can say, like, I wish I was a creative professional all I want, but I can't afford that. Right. Let's get back to our book. Like, <laughs> this is all our book, though, right? All That's of it the is. The brilliance about yeah. romance is that it's right. all in the text. Right. And it is. And it's specific because it is it is you and me. And like, that's. That's what's universal about it inside of a predictable structure that can never be spoiled because it ends in a wedding. Yeah. And that's like pleasant and pleasurable and nice. And like to all of that said, like the Bezo feels really bad about the way in which he's like lying. But the thing that he discovers about her after this awful like server thing and then he lights the fondue on fire. He's supposed to light a burner. Right. To keep the fondue warm. Right. And doesn't. So whatever. He lights it on fire. And then she comes in with a fucking fire extinguisher like Ghostbusters. Saves the day. Saves him. Calms everybody down. And he's so upset and so embarrassed and so shamed by his own failures that he says... She's a dog. He says she's like a St. Bernard. And that she can only follow orders. And then even say Great Pyrenees. No. Or like, you know, anything else. Newfoundland. Bernese Mountain Dog. Anyway, here's the thing. He calls her a dog. 
like she can only Saint take Bernard. orders. St. Bernard. And she straight up says, leave. She says, you're fired. And leave your shirt because I'm not going to pay for it. I've already paid for enough of your mistakes. And then he makes this strange and bold decision to evacuate her neighbor across the hall and shack up residence there. Well, she's from uh, Puerto Rico. And this this brought home to me how quickly people write. Hurricane. Hurricane. He was like, go home to your family. He pays for her landlady to go back to Puerto Rico, spend time with her family, and donates a huge sum of money to the hurricane relief fund. That happened earlier this year. Technically, it happened late last year because we're 2018 now. I consider any 365-day cycle. That's fair. But yeah, (laughs) and I I think it's not fair. It's fine. I like and I think that's right. Like the romance novel genre is extremely responsive to current events. And I think like that is a particular way in which this novel is responding to Puerto Rico. The fact that she is Puerto Rican, the fact that he is donating, the fact that there is all of this. Like Alyssa Cole isn't doing that unintentionally. Like she's doing it on purpose. But a quick turnaround. Yeah, super quick. I never realized that. These, these And this isn't self-published. No, these ladies are churning them out like for a year. This like, is an Avon book. Next one is like due out in the spring of 2018. We are in the spring of 2018 right There's now. There's already the first chapter at the end of this book. Exactly. So it's already written. It just needs to be printed. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's also not how we think of publishing. Morgan, did think you know this? Think about how long we're no. waiting for Morgan, George R.R. Morgan, R. R. Morgan, 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 did you know this? 60% of the publishing industry is fucking romance. Yeah, you told me that at the Apple store earlier today. Dude, I'm going to continue telling everyone I know. Hey, shout out to, 60%. what's his name? At the Lucas. Apple st- Lucas. Lucas. Lucas at the Michigan Avenue Apple store helped us get our microphones set up. If we sound better or worse, it's his fault. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. He, he like really took on a project that he did not know a lot about and used creativity, ingenuity, and collaboration. He sure did. To make it happen. All of the Apple values. Are those the Apple values? They should be. I think they are. They say that they are. Late capital. Whatevs. Let's do a quick round of applause for Lucas with our new mics that are handheld. Okay. Good job, Lucas. Moving on. But yeah, 60%. That means prolific as hell. Yeah. And it's also shoring up the rest of the fucking publishing industry. When we did Women Crush Wednesday with Nora Roberts, mm. I looked her up. Mm-hmm. I could not believe how many books she's written. Once Over again, 200. George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Take note. Is super late with his new books. Yes. And he says it's because he has a strenuous promotional schedule. You know what? That sounds like white man problems. The TV show has passed the books. My mother is Mm. not happy about it. Do you know what my mom told me? This is interesting. What did your mom tell you? So my mom, she watched the first, we watched the first season of Game of Thrones together. That's weird. Obviously, we're wild about it. That's a lot of sex to watch with your mom. I watched Brokeback Mountain with my parents. I watched Brokeback Mountain with my mom. My dad cried at the end because he's a good person. Yeah, he is. Good job, (laughs) Dad Morgan. That's why we're so, that's why me and my brother are so empathetic. Um, But, but she read the books. Mm. She read the books mm. as many as were available before mm. the second season mm. started because mm. no one reads mm-hmm. like my mom reads. Good job, Elaine. And she was like, I wish I'd watched the TV show before I read the books mm. because she feels like the books are like a really rich stew. Yes. Like you're watching the TV show. You get to sip that broth and yeah. you're like, oh, this is good. But then you get the book and it's like, hum, 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 hum. <laughs> It's a lie. And it just reminds you of how good the broth was. I think that's interesting. I don't know. It's the first time she has ever told me in my life that I could watch the program 
the movie, the TV show before reading the book. I read the first book before the first season. I read the second book before the second season. And I read the third book. And then I was like, I'm done. That's okay. I'm tired of Starks dying. I just can't take it anymore. I continue to watch the show, dear listeners. I don't want you to think I'm a troglodyte or something. But like, I just couldn't read about it anymore because it felt like too urgent and like prescient or whatever. And like, I just, too many Starks. We're just like losing it. And like, you know, they're too the only good stocks, people. Too many stocks. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's get back to our structure for the episodes. Okay. What was the sexiest part for you? The sexiest part of this book for me. Do I want to say the first sex scene or do I want to say the when she came on his hand? Okay, the first sex scene. They were okay. both sexy. I think like Alyssa Cole is really good at writing lead up. The thing that left me skeeved out about her coming on his hand, Alyssa Cole exclusively referred to it as finger banging from the moment that it happened, like the rest of the book. And I was like, you know what? Again, that like okay finger banging's funny haha but also like mm, can we call it something else can we just like not like it's like i'm not a prude <laughs> listeners i'm not an old lady but like here's the thing it felt really romantic and like intimate and like tender and kind when it happened so then like finger banging takes a lot of that out of it yeah yes so it was sexy, and then she killed it in the post. Mm-hmm. Um, the first sex scene was very tender and sexy, but like it was also really overshadowed with this idea because like that's the moment that he decides that he wants to tell her, "I'm not Jamal. I'm Prince Thabizo of the Solo." And she's like, "That can wait because I need to take off your clothes because I've just lost my prestigious internship." Because and she of- doesn't know that he's right. not Jamal. She, she doesn't thinks- know that, and she and he keeps saying, "You know, let me tell you this thing." And she's like, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I just need to rip off your clothes and take comfort in your body. And so then Mm -hmm. they do that. And then they're interrupted from having a conversation about who he is really. And I think that's like a trope in Mistaken Identities where he's like, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I want to tell you. And she's like, don't tell me because I need to take comfort in your physical form. Yeah. And so like that was fine. But it also felt like since we are so religiously in Letty's perspective and then Thabiza's perspective, like he was so anxious about telling her and like that really overrode the sensuality of that scene for me in ways that like he wanted to tell her and didn't know how wanted to give her comfort because he was already falling in love with her like that scene made me really anxious yeah what was your favorite sex scene it was that scene really yeah both of us don't like the cave i like that something um caves are like wombs anyway a great deal of the cave scene though we don't see we hear about after the fact we hear the initial sex scene but then we find out that they made love throughout the night. I don't feel like Alyssa Cole's strong suit is perhaps describing oral sex. That kind of lingers. Because the scene is is kind of just vaguely alluded to like she sat on his face. And that's 100% what it is. He says wrong seat when she straddles him. Yeah, and it's and really uncomfortable. And pulls her up to his face and is like... Wah, 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 wah. Alyssa Cole makes a point that like they're both people who become corny. Yes. When they're... Uh, intimate. Intimate. But that doesn't mean the book itself has to be corny <laughs> um I, I i really liked the first sex scene not the one on the plastic couch but the one in her on her futon i think that was nice i agree with you i was anxious but i don't know her refusal like it kind of made it acceptable for me like he was he was very clear that he had something to tell her and she was mm-hmm. like no i don't care what it is which 
I think if you're willing to go there, everywhere else you go is kind of your own responsibility. I think that's fine. It was just because we were so deeply rooted in his perspective. Yeah. And like, I think like Alyssa Cole is amazing at writing the perspective of this particular man. Like not only does he think carefully about the things that Letty says, but he thinks carefully about his own actions in relation. Mm -hmm. I think that's really nice. And like romance novels do this really well. I think where they like give you the perspective of a man, which you don't necessarily have access to and our own culture around masculinity yeah and like that's one of the pleasure principles of romance in general whereas like we have unfettered access to the way in which men are vulnerable inside themselves and i think that's really nice and thabizo is an extremely vulnerable man can we talk about the way in consent is working in this book because i think it's really beautiful it does a really great job of showing that yes and no explicit consent can be sexy can be a part of your everyday sex life right and that- especially for two characters who are discovering each other for the mm-hmm. first time two characters two people people because it should apply in your everyday life when Mm -hmm. you're um, getting intimate with anyone yeah or if you're getting intimate with someone you've been intimate with forever you still need to get explicit consent totally and like that's one of the things where like so there's this big reveal that he's really the prince she feels hurt and then he's like hey I'm not gonna trick you into coming back to the solo with me but I'm gonna offer you this internship which is basically a trap and a trick come with me pretend to be my fiance (laughs) and she does and he shows up at her door in the palace and he and there's a scene where you know he leans in really close and he says can I kiss you and she says wow after like you know the fact that we've already had sex most guys would assume that it was okay and he's like I may be a fuck boy but I am a gentleman gentleman and I ask like no kiss I don't assume right I don't assume no kisses no kisses guaranteed no kisses guaranteed right and look at just sat on the door I could refuse kiss so it's any what I choose. Right. And like that's such I a. I hate the phrase kisses. You really do. You hate it so much. It came up in this book too. Multiple times. Just say kiss. The singular is acceptable. Morgan, this is like a very particular picadillo. Kisses. You're weird. Anyway, this like, and like that scene. Prince was... didn't want your kisses. He wanted your kiss. <laughs> Fair. That's a really, really cogent <laughs> observation. Thank you for bringing it home. The defense rests. R.I.P. But like that scene in particular, I think was a really clear illustration for me that like not only is consent sexy, but like consent is essential. Yeah. Essentially, essentially. sexy and essential. Yeah. And like the fact that he's like, I'm a gentleman. I may be a fuck boy. I may have wronged you. I may have lied, but I'm not this thing that you just assumed that I was because I'm not a monster and I understand how boundaries work. Yeah. Even if I don't understand how lying or hurt works. This brings me to a really important, the the use of the phrase fuckboy brings me to something I want to talk about, which is the currency of this book. Is current? Is current. Let's get a glass of champagne and come back and talk about that. Cool. Pause it. Pause it. Hey, Womance listeners, Isabeau here. And if you love Womance and you love what we do, would you do me a huge favor and click subscribe on your favorite podcasting app? And if you have just that extra second, would you go ahead and give us a rating as well? Ratings and subscriptions help keep this podcast going, lets other people know where we are, lets other people in on the delicious secret that is Womance and Romance in general. And more than that, don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell her about the juicy bits. But, you know, let her discover the details. Because romance and womance is all about discovery. Thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you.
Uh, I'm glad I didn't go to an all women's college, but I don't think you I'm are. also sad I didn't go yep. to an all women's college. That's the right reaction. So Stevens College, oldest school, oldest all girls school west of the Mississippi. That is not a finishing school. It's important to note, listeners. Yeah. Stevens College was super badass. And like what essentially it was is like all of the things that sororities sell themselves as, you know, where it's like friends and supporting and funny and like networking, networking, but parties. Yeah, it was all those things. But, you know, since there were so there were only like, I don't know, 1200 students, it was a very small liberal arts school. And like you got to know everybody really well and there were no men. So you didn't have to impress anybody. And like there were women, especially shy women Uh who just like there was no that guy in my MFA class. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that was so beautiful about it. I loved it. I would never trade my women's college experience for anything. It was lovely. I want to talk about pop culture references in, in this book. A Princess in Theory. I also love that title. Can we just like pause? A Princess in Theory. I think <laughs> you're a princess in theory. I think you're a princess in theory. How did your theoretical arguments end up in your in your master's thesis? How do you feel mm, about them? Not as, not as... Not as good as I want to, but I think like that's the whole thing about a thesis or like really any work in general where it's like always in progress and like will always continue to be in progress. Like I think I did a lot of like good necessary work, but like I didn't like push it as far as I wanted to and I didn't like break anything. That is such a, uh, (laughs) the work is always in progress. That's such a, uh, who wrote Stranger Beside Me? (laughs) I don't know. Not Anne Rice and Rule. That's such an and she writes a new introduction to Stranger Beside Me every year. That's beautiful. This is Morgan's murder corner. Morgan had a den in Kansas. <laughs> if y'all remember a lair, a murder lair. Just me, some leaky pipes. There you go. Some and radon publicly poisoning. Publicly available FBI records. It was a nice, it was a nice <laughs> unfinished basement in a newer home. Kansas. Um, but like there's all these pop culture references in this book that are kind of hilarious. So uh, for instance, Instagram is remade as Instaphoto. Oh, that's right. Because she's trying to get out of the copyright bullshit. I did not like those moments where it's like, what's the version of Frosted Flakes that isn't Frosted Flakes? It's yeah. like sugared discs. Yeah, That's I'm, what pretty it felt sure, like. I'm pretty sure Blue Apron would have been fine with the advertisement they had, <laughs> except they like called it Yellow Spatula. Yeah. But they like reconnect, they connect as a couple over Cooking. a boxed meal service. It's true. Blue Apron, Yellow Spatula. Ha ha ha. Uh, 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 uh. Also, Blue Apron totally would have like fucking paid you, Alyssa Cole, if you had asked. Well, that would have been unethical. Why? To receive sponsorship in your novel i think that happens all the time does that really happen all the time i have absolutely no idea i'm talking out of my butt (laughs) at least now you admit it yes (laughs) yeah i mean it's not like a television show it seems like it might be though because like they come out four times a year they're like mini series it's a missed opportunity and honestly i don't feel like it detracts from the content of the book like it already felt like an ad for blue apron even though it was called yellow spatula sure did sure did they make themselves a delicious, like, lemon, chicken, thigh, sage situation. And they, like, refer to it as, like, peasant food. And I'm like, what makes it peasant food? She's, like, fucking, like, simmering the sage. She simmers that sage. And then they make love. Mm, after the second meal. The first after one, the she second. leaves, and he puts it in a Pyrex for her. Yeah, and a little Tupperware. Yeah. Oh. 
TM. Not his own. It's Mrs. Garcia's who's Mrs. away in Puerto Rico Puerto dealing Puerto. with the fucking hurricane. Uh, I rewatched um, In America on YouTube with uh, Rita Moreno. Interesting. It's so good. Okay. Anyway, so they cook the, the currency of the currentness of Alyssa Cole's novel. Exactly. She like c- refers to him as a fuck boy. Yep. And then there's a hilarious moment where they realize her uncle has been poisoning people. Spoiler alert. And, yep. he, and that's Thesolo. the epidemiological crisis in Thesolo. Yeah. And uh, to be, which you 100% know immediately. And the Biso goes like, is your uncle a fuck boy? And yeah. I was like, <laughs> There's a Star Trek joke that was like that too. Where it was like Bones. She yeah. always calls him Bones. She calls him Bones twice because he doesn't get the reference the first time. And then it's like So hilarious. Let me call you that twice then. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever. Like if he had uh-huh. whatever. Also, they have Star Trek and the solo. They have segues, they have Star Trek. <laughs> That's a really good point. Thank you. I think maybe he just doesn't watch Star Trek. I don't know who Bones is. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. Who's Bones? He's the doctor in the original series. Oh, I do know who Bones is. Yeah. Come on. I'm so sorry. He's also now in the current series with Chris Pine. Yeah, that's how I know him. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry I had that moment. Why does she call him Bones? Because she's like, I'm not. In my head, I was like, that's who it's referring to. And then I was like. No, that's exactly who it's referring. Because the whole thing about Bones, like Star Trek fans, I know this is like fucking rote for you. But here's the thing. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Star Trek fans. Sorry, Star Trek fans who are also podcast listeners to Womance Allison. (laughs) That's our one listener. Who is both parts of the Venn diagram. <laughs> um, so Bones, for you non-Star Trek fans, is the doctor in the original series, but he's also played by the super What's hot Australian name? who was Aomer in Urban. Carl Urban. He was Aomer in the Lord of the Rings series. Keith Urban. I'm answer that. So is another important Australian. Not Keith Urban. Carl Urban. Keith Urban is probably Shut up. Shut his up. cousin. No. Anyway, so there's this whole thing, right, where Bones constantly says to Jim, James T. Kirk, James Tiberius, where like Kirk will be like, you can do this. And he'll be like, I'm not an actor. I'm a doctor. Or I'm not a, you know, singer. I'm a doctor. Or I'm like, <laughs> what I'm- other professions can both think of? I'm not a vampire. I'm a doctor. And I'm, I'm not a say it the way he says it. I'm not a vampire. I'm a doctor, Jim. <laughs> And so he says, like, he says that. And so, like, there's a thing that the Bezo says to Letty, and she's like, I'm not la 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 la. And then it's funny because whatever. But it's like, yeah. it's a, it, that joke really falls flat for a really funny book. It really does. And then, like, I remember her explaining it. Yeah. And I was like, it's not funny if you have to explain it, Alyssa. But also, like, her explanation didn't, like, she wasn't like, he always says in the series, like, I'm not an ex, I'm a doctor. She's like, He's a doctor on the series who has a really dry sense of humor. And it's like, that doesn't explain not the that joke. Dry. It's not that dry. It's not Bones that dry. Bones isn't that dry. He's so emotional. Isabel, we're never going to get sponsorships because you already subscribe to everything that would ever That's sponsor true. our podcast. HelloFresh. You have HelloFresh. It's in your kitchen right now. Third I'm, Love is right there. I had to try it because I heard it on another podcast <laughs> and I wanted bras that fit. What promotional code did you use? Time 15. Don't give Third Love your money. They don't carry bras in my size. What is your size? My size is 34G. They carry it in your size. They don't. I looked it up. You should look it up again and do their test fit. If I enter 34G, they're like, we don't have that size, but maybe you want a 38 double D. And I'm like, I really don't. 
<laughs> I am now on my fourth bra from Third Love because we have been going back and forth on this quote unquote 60 second fit finder. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Third Love, you think I'm the size. I'm not the size. I'm not the size, Third Love. And like, we're getting through it. It's like Third Love just needs to try, try and try and try again and like my boobs are fine and like also Morgan listeners I have boobs of two different sizes so like you have a really like really intense size I'm like my left size is well, a full cup they're size symmetrical I'm not a real freak I am a real freak my <laughs> left size is a full cup size bigger than my right and I have no idea why that is my right should be bigger by all scientific measures because I am right handed no that's normal no I don't think so I think your boobs are just like their own thing they definitely have minds of their own Jesus they're their own fucking thing dude no, third love. Not, none of those bra subscription services have carry my size. I have to go to the Macy's sale twice a year. I love Macy's. Do you? I do. I like lock myself in a dressing room with twenty bras twice a year, and I walk out with three. That's my life. Morgan, next time you go, do that. I'll go with you, and then you and I will go to the Walnut Room, which Ooh. is the fancy lunch counter. Do you want to know a Walnut Room historic tidbit? I do, Morgan. I do. So, uh. Marshall Field. Yep. He always thought department stores that had restaurants were trashy. He thought that was a trashy thing to have food in your manufactured department store. Understandable. And so he refused to open a restaurant. And then one of his many protégés, one of his protégés was Selfridge, who founded Selfridges. And also went out of business. Um, And he was like, listen, all of the ladies, because you know Marshall Fields was all about give the lady what she wants. All of the ladies say that there's no good place to have lunch on State Street. And so they're going to leave and go have lunch and may or may not come back. If we could give them a fine dining experience in the restaurant, they would stay here all day long. And that is why Marshall Field finally agreed to open a restaurant the walnut room in his department store not only that but it was one of the only places that well-heeled women could drink publicly yeah the dry goods store was the first place that women could be without an escort <laughs> and drink Chicago or chaperone yeah in chicago not just drink but like for the first time ever women could you know connect with other women mm-hmm. without their children around or outside their of their home without their husbands without their whoever their chaperone mm-hmm. was department stores matter romance matters romance matters department stores matter People are dismissive about those institutions, but they are critical. You know why they're dismissive of those institutions, Morgan? Because... The patriarchy. The patriarchy. Yeah, not not a trick question. Here's the thing that I want to say about Marshall Field's Walnut Room. There's an amazing article, a historical article called Tippling Ladies, about... The institution of drinking in department stores, specifically in Chicago. It's an incredible 33-page article that was in History Today called Tiplin Ladies. Can you imagine... It's really funny. Chicago without, like, bars in every department store and every hotel and then any block that doesn't have a department store or a hotel, just a regular bar. I can't imagine that. It's not the Chicago I want to be a part of. Chicago. That toddling town. You know what toddling means. I even saw a man dance with his wife. Thanks, Frank. Are you disappointed that it seems like we didn't get into this book enough? Well, stop being disappointed because we're going to have a part two of this episode coming out very soon. When, you ask? I don't know. You're just going to have to hit that subscribe button so you can hear the rest of our episode on A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole.